0: I want to start this morning by defining circumstances. Circumstances are a fact or condition connected with or relevant to an event or action. Put it in layman's terms, circumstances are things in life that surround us. Circumstances surround our lives and they influence the decisions that we make. Now, there are a couple of different circumstances. There are the circumstances that we can control. I mean, we can control who we're going to date who we're going to marry, what house we're going to rent. We can control these things, what teams we're going to pull for. But then there are other circumstances in life that we cannot control. We can't control who our parents are. We can't control what our kids look like. We we can't control the color of our hair or, of course, the lack thereof. We can't control those things. We can't control the rental prices in a place like Northern Virginia. We can't control that. We can't control how terrible D.C. teams are in playoff situations, right? We can't control these things. It's true. But let's take this a little deeper, all right? Because I think there's a theological question that this lay laying here, too. And that question is, does God interact with our circumstances? So this morning when you got up, you were hungry, wanted some breakfast. And you knew that that bowl of fruit was the right choice, right? But Captain Crunch is calling you from the pantry. And what do you do? The fruit will wait till Monday. I'll eat the Captain Crunch today. Now, was that God working in your life to move you toward eating Captain Crunch? Or think about Friday afternoon. You drove home from work. It was one of those evenings where you're dreading it because it's Friday. Everybody else is leaving at the exact same time. You know how long it normally takes. And you get in your car, but you hit every single light, and every single light is green. And you're like, maybe God is real. Because that doesn't ever happen. (laughs) See, there are circumstances that happen in our life. The ones that we can control, the ones that we can't. And again, the question is, is God influencing? Is God interacting in our circumstances that we face? Today, we start a brand new series called Ruth Revealed. And in this series, we're going to talk about circumstances of life and how God interacts or doesn't interact and what that all looks like for us. If you're not familiar with the book of Ruth, it's in the Old Testament. It doesn't get a whole lot of love on Sunday mornings, but it's actually a very powerful book. In fact, it's called A Love Story. Uh, partly for two reasons. One, we have a love story between a man and a woman, and then we have this love story with God and humanity. And over the next four weeks, because there are how many chapters in Ruth? Four. So that means every week we're going to do one chapter, all right? So you can go ahead and read ahead and be ready for that. But, but I just want to let you know that there's so much in this, this short little book about our lives and about circumstances and about where God is in that. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Ruth chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the seats in front of you. You can grab one of those. You can open it up. If you don't have a Bible at home, if you have lost it, your dog ate it, your kids tore it up, whatever, or you have a friend that needs a Bible, feel free to take that home with you for free. We're going to put it up here on the screens. You can follow along in your Journey Church app and take notes or take notes on your program. But we're going to be looking at Ruth chapter 1 this morning. Ruth 1.1. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. We're going to stop there just for a moment. There's a lot of information in a few short words. The beginning point here, it says, in the days when the judges ruled. There was a time period between the end of Moses' life and before Saul was chosen to be king where they had judges that were ruling. Now, these actually were more military leaders. They were brought in to help in this time of crisis. And these judges would come in, and they're not politicians, they're not policy makers. This isn't their role, this isn't what they know. And yet, here they are, they're thrust into this leadership position by God. Now, this was a tumultuous time in the history of the Israelites. They really struggled throughout this time period. But as we can see here, this is where the story of Ruth begins, when the judges are ruling. But there's another issue here there's a famine. This is an agricultural society. They, they rely on their crops. It is their product. It's, it's what they sell. It's what they use. This is very important to them. And if a famine hits, then you're really struggling. But not only do you have this famine, you have judges who really aren't these government officials leading. So there's no plan for this famine. This famine comes, and everybody's trying to figure out, they're trying to scramble, what are we going to do And so it's during this time period we have the story again of Ruth. Look at the rest of verse 1. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Melon and Killian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. We have this family They're normal. There's a mom, there's a dad, there's two kids. And yet here they are trying to figure out their life. And they ask this question that I think is a question that's probably familiar for many of us in here. What is best for our family? What, What is best for our family? Elimelech and his wife Naomi, they look at the situation, they look at the circumstances at hand, and they're thinking to themselves, we're gonna die. I mean, there's a famine here, we don't have anything to eat. Where's this food gonna come from? Oh, I have an idea. Let's move to Moab because there's food there. Now, Moab is a place that was godless. Uh, it was corrupt. People pretty much did whatever they wanted to do. And so here you have this, this Hebrew family that's focused on God, living by a certain set of rules and, and expectations. And they're going to move to this new place called Moab for one reason, for food. Food. Here's what's interesting about Elimelech's name, and here's what we're going to find throughout the book of Ruth. We're going to hear these names, and there's a, there's a purpose behind every name. There's a definition behind that name. Elimelech's name means God is king. Here's this moment in his life, and Elimelech's saying, no, 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 no. Elimelech is king, and I'm going to make this decision for our family. And so they decide to move from Bethlehem and go to Moab. You think about what they're doing here, and I think, again, asking that question, what's, what's best for our family? And, and I wonder sometimes, what is it that drives our decisions? Why do we make the decisions that we do for our family, for ourselves as individuals? Why do we do this? Well, maybe it's because we want to make more money. Maybe it's because we we, we want a a better job title or we want a bigger house with land. I mean, these are all questions that we ask ourselves. What is best for our family? And I think sometimes when we ask that question, it's really, what's best for me? And we forget about the God piece in this. I think we see that here with these individuals. We see this with Elimelech and Naomi. See, our circumstances drive our decisions, Right? Our circumstances in our life drive our decisions, and we become like Elimelech, and we say, Chad is king. I am king. But one of the things we know about circumstances is they constantly change. Look at verse 3. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, not Oprah, and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Uh, this is a tough time in their life. Elimelech, a, a husband, a dad has passed away. You have the two sons that have passed away. Now, they should have known this was the case because Malon and Kilion, their names actually mean sick and dying, Right? So it's kind of like, hey, meet my two sons, measles and tuberculosis. Give them a kiss. I, make sure you know what your kids names before you, or mean before you name them. We look in the story and some terrible things have happened, right? A dad's gone, a husband's gone, two kids have passed away. And then here's Naomi, and she's left. And what is she left with? She's left with two daughter-in-laws. Great, right? Well, the problem is she's a Hebrew, and they're Moabite women. She's alone. She's by herself. And in that culture, if you were found in this place and and your husband passed away and you didn't have two sons specifically to take care of you, people just kind of discarded you. They ignored you. They didn't help you. These are really, really dark days for Naomi. She's struggling right here in this, this moment. My guess is that those of us in here, Many of us in here have experienced this, right? We've experienced the loss of someone close to us. Maybe it was a husband, a wife, maybe it was a child, a parent, a family friend, close family member. It's painful, isn't it? It's hard to go through those moments. And here's what's so interesting. This is how life is. That happens, and it seems like all these other bad things start to pile on, don't they? Here you are in the depths of despair, as Naomi is, and all of a sudden, it's like all these other things start to pile on. It's like this burden gets heavier and heavier for us. I I love the way that Shakespeare once wrote it. He said, when sorrows come, they come not single spies, but in battalions. It's true. When those sorrows come in our life, they don't come alone. There's these battalions that attack us. And Naomi is feeling that in her life. And so the question, I think, that she's asking herself right now in this moment is, is this just bad luck? Is this life? Or is this God? Look at verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah circumstances are changing again aren't they Uh, all of a sudden she's heard that there's food back home and and so she's like I want to get back home I want to go where the food is and so she gets her daughters-in-law together and they pack up all their stuff and they get ready to take this trip what does Naomi see all of a sudden she sees God at work and she sees blessings back in Bethlehem she's like man I'm tired of living here I can't stand to live here. This is a terrible place to live. Why would anybody want to live here? It sounds like many people who live here in this area, right? Maybe some of you here. Why would anybody want to live here? I can't wait to get out of here. And that's what it sounds like with Naomi. She's ready to pack up, and she is ready to move. And so she does just that. Look at verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. Stuff's packed. They're committed to this trip. They've already taken off. And what does Naomi do? She stops mid-trip like, Oh, hold up a second. I remember what this was like for me. I left my family and my friends and my community to come to Moab, And now I know what the outcome is of this. And she looks at Orpah and Ruth and is like, ladies, I don't want you to experience this. I don't want you to experience the exact same things I did. Go back to your home. Go find a husband there. Live your life with the people that you know and that you are connected with. It sounds like this gift that she is giving Ruth and Orpah in this moment. But then these ladies say, nope, we're going with you. And Naomi, she snaps. Verse 11 But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and they gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. You ever been around a pessimist? <laughs> They're fun, aren't they? And you can walk outside on a beautiful day and look up in the sky like, man, like no clouds in the sky. The, the wind's blowing just a, a little bit. There's no pollen anywhere. I mean, I can breathe. The sun's shining. The temperature is perfect. What a beautiful day. And the pessimist will say, ah, it's too bright out here. Or you go to the pessimist and you'll say, congratulations on that new job. Man, I'm so happy for you. This is something that you've been working for. This is something that you've wanted for such a long time. You put a lot of effort into this. I know it's going to be a pay raise, more responsibility. you got better hours. This is amazing for you. And the pessimist will look at you and say, Yeah, but I just got one window in my office. You, you, you love being around these people because they bring you up every single time, right? No, it's really hard to be around a pessimist. And here is Naomi in this moment. And what is she doing? She is being the pessimist in fact it says that she is bitter but she's going home I mean she's going back home to family and friends and community people that know her and care for her and love her she's going home but there's a problem all these other things have happened that pain is there that that hurt is there that struggle is there for Naomi so there's this bitterness she says ladies look at me I'm old nobody's gonna marry this look at this it's not gonna happen why would you want to do that? In fact, even if I got married today by somebody who felt sorry for me, basically, and they married me, and I have sons, are you going to wait for those sons to get older so that you can marry them? I mean, that was a structure back in that, that day. We can explain that later if you need help with that. But that was the way it was set up. She's like, just go. Get away. Basically, she said, I'm an angry old lady right now. I need you to leave me alone. I need you to go home to your family. As we look at those verses in 11 through 13, Naomi sees God in all of her despair now, doesn't she? She sees God in all of her despair. Everything now is God's fault. But you made a decision to go there earlier on. You you left family and friends and community to go to Moab. And now all of a sudden, you're blaming God. Now God is in control in Naomi's life. When it comes to God, there are a few views uh, of God that that I think every human probably fits into one of these views. The first view of God is this, that God has nothing to do with anything. God has nothing to do with anything. This would be sort of an atheistic type view. Um, There is no God, period. Everything is just happenstance. Everything is just luck. Then there's sort of the agnostic view that says, hey, maybe there's a God, and if there's a God, this God created everything, but now this God is sitting on the beach in a hammock just watching the waves come in. And this God doesn't do anything within our world, within our lives. And so this view says that God has nothing to do with anything. There's a second view, that God is involved in Everything. That God is involved in everything. That everything that happens in our lives, God is manipulating and make, making happen every single day. That God has chosen the people that you're going to date and the people that you're going to marry and the kind of car you're going to buy and the house you're going to live in. God chose you to come to church this morning. And, and God chose you to be late for church this morning. That this was all part of God's plan. And that's how involved God is for many people. That God is like, like a kid with barbie dolls and hot wheels cars and that's all god does all day God's just playing with all these pieces and and putting them to specific spots at specific times constantly and so there is no free will that you and i what i'm doing right here right now god always already set this up this is what god wants to have happen and so in this view god is involved in everything god involved in nothing god involved in everything and if we look at the story of naomi so far We really see this play out. Because at the very beginning, she and the Limelech, they make a decision to move to Moab. Did they seek out God's advice for that? Did they take the time to say, hey, this is what we think is best for our family. Let's just take some time and think about it pray about let's let's get some advice let's seek out some wisdom i'm pretty sure the people that they knew who were godly would not have given them that advice to move from where they were to an ungodly society to move to moab where they didn't know anybody i'm pretty sure that's not the advice that they would have received and yet they did it See, god's in nothing but now all of a sudden because of their decisions and all the circumstances that are played out all the bad dark days that are happening in their life all of a sudden god's in everything Oh, now God has made all this happen. This is all God's fault. And so they begin, or she begins, to blame God. The question is, Naomi, which is it? God in nothing or God in everything? Look at verse 14. At this they wept aloud again. Then Oprah, again, not Oprah, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. I love this part of chapter 1 because there's a couple of things that you see happening here. First, Naomi's a Hebrew, which means she believes in the God. And yet, as we look at her, her life and what she's describing as happening right now, her faith, she's struggling, right? And it's almost like she's lost her faith. Here's Ruth, a Moabite, comes from a polytheistic, godless society, do-whatever-you-want culture. All of a sudden, she's different. The, the first part is, it says that she clung to Naomi. Naomi said, go home. Again, if you've been around a pessimist or someone who's bitter, you want to go home, right? You want to get away as fast as possible. Ruth says, no, Naomi, I'm here for you. I, I don't care what happens. I don't care what, what has happened. I am here for you and it says she clung to Naomi not only that but Ruth says those words that I think are so powerful she says your God will be my God it seems like the tables have turned is it now that Ruth's faith is stronger and a God she maybe hardly knows than Naomi's faith has been Here's Ruth all of a sudden saying, "I believe in your God. I want to follow your God. Your God is powerful." And so we see Ruth kind of taking on that, that role of the, 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 the strong, full-of-faith individual in our story. But why does she say those words? Why, why does she say, "Hey, hey, Naomi, um, your God is my God." I don't think Naomi's always been bitter. And, and yeah, I know their family made a poor decision at the very beginning and, and moved from Bethlehem to Moab. But one thing that I'm pretty sure of is that there was still this faithful connection to God. Now, they may not have sought God out for wisdom in taking this, tr- this journey, this trip to Moab for that food. But I do believe God was still important to the family, that they were still connected to that. And over this period of time that Ruth has been a part of this family, she's watched Naomi. She's seen Naomi. Naomi. And I'm guessing that she's probably watched the faith of Naomi. Now, now, granted, right here in this moment, it's a, it's a little rough, right? I mean, Naomi's a little bitter, but that's okay. Because Ruth has watched all the other times and how powerful that faith has been for Naomi. And, and I think in this moment, Ruth is saying, you have influenced me in the 10 years that we've been here, that I've been with you. You have influenced me in such a way that I believe in your God. When it comes to you and myself, do we really realize the impact that our lives have on the faith of others? You may have somebody who's a close friend, a parent, a child, a spouse who's far from God. And you may be thinking to yourself, man, this is something I've been praying about. This is something I've asked others to pray about. This is something that When I've gotten the opportunity, I've talked about with this individual. And in our minds, we're thinking, maybe someday they're going to take that step. And maybe it's going to be tomorrow. Maybe it's going to be the next day. And so we we have this faith. But sometimes we can lose that faith in God working in that way, right? And we say, well, maybe they're never going to get to that place. Here's what I would push us to think about. Our faith right now, our words and our actions, if we're a follower of Jesus, have the power to impact people's lives, not just for tomorrow or next week or next month, it could be decades later. It could be decades later that somebody comes back and says, because of who you were, because of the person that you were, because of your faith in God, I am now a follower of Jesus. Sometimes we give up so easily on that because our time is short. We need things done immediately. But sometimes that's not the way that God works. It may take time. I think we see that in the story that that Ruth, her faith has grown from watching and being around Naomi. Why else would she say, I'm going to cling to you. I'm not going to let you go. Your people are going to be my people. Your God's going to be my God. There's something there. And I think it comes from who Naomi was before. Before this moment when she's bitter at God. But my question is, for us, who in our life do we have that we're praying for, that we're hoping for, to follow Christ that's far from God, where our faith could impact them? Who is in our life that we need to be thinking about that maybe this isn't going to be the time? It's going to happen in the future, maybe years or decades from now. More than likely there's somebody in your life like that. I know that some of you in this room, if you're like me, you've seen that happen in someone's life. And maybe you actually are that person who who said, I don't want anything to do with God. I'm not connected with God. But you watch somebody else's faith over time. And over the years, maybe over the decades, you finally said, you know what? I saw God in them. And I'm taking this step in my spiritual journey because of them. I believe that's how God works, and I I think that's what we see here with Ruth and Naomi. She sees something in Naomi, and that faith that was there was so strong. She said, hey, now your God is my God. Look at verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Everybody's excited. It's like, (laughs) Naomi? What? What are you doing here? Why are you back? And then, of course, pessimistic, bitter Naomi shows up at this moment, too. Verse 20, don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me get bitter much Naomi because you seem pretty bitter again I'm not sure what's going on here remember I told you a little bit earlier about words or about names Naomi means pleasant and sweet she's not pleasant and sweet right now that's why she tells them to change my name to bitter change it tomorrow she's angry at God everything that has happened has been about God has been God's fault and yet how did it begin a decision a choice was made what is best for our family well, here are the circumstances. We're going to make a decision. Let's move from Bethlehem, which, by the way, means house of bread. Again, we we'll are play on words here. House of bread. Let's leave the house of bread and let's go to Moab for food. And then all these different things happen within that time there. Those circumstances take place in their life. And now here's Naomi blaming God. And again, she's angry. She's bitter. She can't believe God would do this to her. Mark Twain once wrote, God is the most popular scapegoat for our sins. If you and I, if we look at our lives and the decisions we make, how many times do we blame God for the outcome of those decisions? Probably frequently if those decisions don't go the way that we want, right? Now, if things go the way that we want, is God in the picture? Probably not because this was our decision. This is what I did. This was the choice I made. But when our decisions go south... When our decisions end up being bad outcomes, we blame God. And it's easy, as Mark Twain says, to blame God. Look at verse 22. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. How did Ruth begin? You remember the words? In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Dark days. Tough days. Judges are ruling. Government economy is about to collapse. There's no plan in place. There's a famine in the land for an agricultural society. There's no food. How does Ruth end here in verse 1? Or in chapter 1. Arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Dark days at the beginning. But hope. Is around the corner. When we look at this chapter in Ruth, and and we go back to those views of God that I talked about a little bit earlier God is nothing and God is everything. There's another view here that God has something to do with everything, but not in the same way. God has something to do with everything, but not in the same way. I do think there are moments where God causes things to happen. Now, we find this playing out throughout the Old Testament. These are God's people, the Israelites. And when they fail, God punishes them. Because he's like, here's what I need you to do. I've got a plan in place. This is what this is going to look like. And so when they would fail, one of the things that God would bring upon them was a famine. And so we see God causing things within the Israelite nation to, to teach them a lesson. But then God permits other things to happen. But here's the beauty of what we see right here. So, so many times when we are like Naomi and we, we blame God... It really is our decisions that have led us to that place. It's our decisions that get us to this place where we're struggling, where those dark days are happening around us. But here's what I love about God. They may have been our decisions, but God still jumps in. And God's like, you should have have sought my advice. You should have prayed about this. You should have asked some trusted people in your life about this decision. You didn't. Some dark days have come, but here's the deal. I'm going to jump in. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to to do what I can to give you hope. I believe that's the way God works. I believe that's the way that that God works in the story of Naomi and Ruth. And again, we'll continue it on over the next few weeks, and, and we'll get to see a better picture of this. But God brings hope in the dark days of our lives. Here's the struggle for us. Martin Luther, the theologian, wrote this to Erasmus, another theologian, back in the 15th, 16th century. He said, your thoughts about God are all too human. Naomi had a small God. And Naomi's God was, I can control you. I I can get you to do what I want you to do. Um, I can blame you when things don't go my way. And again, we, we find this throughout this first chapter here in Ruth 1. Naomi wants to control her own destiny. Elimelech, the boys, they want to control their own destiny. And so they've said, we're going to control all of this. But they didn't need a small God. They needed a big God. Ruth, I think, had this vision of this big God. She, she knows there's something bigger than herself. She, she knows there's something bigger than the predicament, the circumstances that, that are around her. She knows there's a big God. She's watched this big God probably play out in their lives over those 10 years that they were together. She's seen this and experienced it. She knows she needs a big God right here in this moment. She knows Naomi needs a big God, too. When I think about this for you and I, which God do we have? Small God or a big God? I'm afraid too many of us, we live with a small God. Again, we want to control our present. We want to control our future. We want to control our destiny. And so we say, hey, if I can control God, then I've got it all figured out. I'll call on God when I need help. I'll call on God when things get bad. But other than that, I'm good to go. But we need a big God too. We need a big God like Ruth and Naomi Need a big God. I think this leaves us with two questions to ask ourselves from here in Ruth 1. The first question is How do you view God in the everyday of life? How do you view God in the everyday of life? Is God non existent? Is God nothing? Or is God everything? Or is there a God that says, Hey, you got freedom, you got free will, you can make decisions, you can make choices. And sometimes they're not going to be good, but you know what? I'm still here, and I'm going to jump in. I'm going to bring hope to you. How involved is your God in the everyday of life? How do you see God in your life? Because maybe our view of God needs to change. But then secondly, how big is your God? Is it small, like Naomi? Is it big, like Ruth? Because here's what I know. When God is, is bigger, he's bigger than my darkest times. He's bigger than my circumstances. God is, is bigger than my decisions. God is bigger than my life. And I think the same is true for you. That God is bigger than anything we could face, anything that we could go through in life. Even when our decisions cause the circumstances around us. That our God is bigger. And here's why our God is bigger. He brings us hope. And as we look at Ruth chapter 2 next week, we're going to see that hope come around. As we read those last few words there in uh, verse 22, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning, there's hope. Hope in those dark days. There's hope for us in our dark days too. I love our communion time and celebrating it every Sunday because it is a reminder that we have hope. That that no matter what decisions you and I have made over this past week, there's still hope. That no matter what we've done, no matter what we've thought, no matter the, the actions or reactions that we have had over this past week, there is always hope. That in our dark days, God says, hey, I have hope for you. And that hope comes through Jesus Christ. And we celebrate communion as we take a piece of the bread that represents his body. And we take a, a drink of, of the, the juice, juice, which represents his, his blood. And again, it's a reminder that God loved us enough to say, hey, I'm involved. I, I'm not nothing, and I'm not necessarily everything, but, but I'm, I'm here. And when you mess up, when you make poor decisions in life, I'm still going to bring you hope.